quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. Welcome I'm back to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here and Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Oh, man, just uh, courted another good one for sure. Yeah, we we got something for all you whitetail guys out there, which I know that's a lot of you. Yeah, and, and not even whitetail guys. Like this guy, you can say he's a whitetail guy, but he doesn't do anything that most whitetail guys you think of do. I mean, he is hunting them from the ground. He's spotting stock, decoy, public land, going from state to state to state, and uh, killing some big bucks. I mean, if you watch his, it's insane. So, it, uh, super cool guy, unique guy. I mean, he is. He films all fall and hunts, and then he edits. He films everything. Nothing's like remade. So. His off season is just he he's a wild man. I mean he's up all night, he edits for months and months and then goes hunting again. I, I mean he, awesome. He is a wild man. He says something like three thousand hours into editing. Um his style is unorthodox. Uh I mean yeah, I mean I don't even know what to say. I mean if you watch these videos, these guys are bum rushing into Walmart and buying uh sweatsuits and spray paint and making their own camo in the parking lots and uh constantly broken down vehicles and and just driving and charging into the woods and bow hunting and doing like like I say in the podcast he's breaking all the quote unquote rules and finding success it's so inspiring and it's so awesome yeah, just regular guys hunting, and like I said, just ways that you you would not think with whitetail guys for sure. And uh, he's he's made a living on his DVDs, no sponsors, just because he doesn't want to, you know, like taint what he's doing. It, it's so cool, man. And so for you guys out there, you know, whitetail adrenaline, check Jared, him out. Yeah, Jared Scheffler. He, he, he's awesome. I mean, it's so inspiring. Like you said, no sponsorships, none of this. He's, he's just, he's breaking the mold. He's not doing what everybody else is doing. As a matter of fact, he's purposely doing the opposite <laughs> of what everybody else is doing. And it is so entertaining. Yeah, for sure. So, so support him, you know, his videos. If you're, and he's working on the elk video. That's, we got that out of him the night. So it's super cool. He's been, he's been pounding the West for a few years, figuring out the elk. And I'm sure that video is going to be epic, just like his whitetail videos. So, so, uh, yeah, go over to white. I think it's just whitetailadrenaline.com. Check it out. He's got all his DVDs, been doing it for 10 years. He's got shirts, hats, mugs, you know, beer koozies, whatever. Just a stud guy. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely go check him out. Um, also, 
here in Oregon for uh, all the locals. It's uh, we're gonna put this out this weekend, so you're gonna it's gonna be May twelfth, thirteenth. You guys got like two days left to put in for your controlled hunts. Uh, May fifteenth, the deadline for Oregon. Anyone that's applying for controlled hunts in Oregon, the deadline is coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm twisting Bob's arm. I'm gonna keep <laughs> twisting his arm. Yep. We'll see what we'll see how uh, where trying, that gets he's, me. He's trying to milk off some of my points. Is what he's doing. Yeah. Today, today is May 11th. So uh, for you guys out there, Utah has been hitting credit cards the last couple days, and uh, my odds as of the last two years for the hunt I applied for elk were 100, percent and um, I've gotten zero love in the Utah draw. So kind of crying myself to sleep tonight having a couple drinks because it doesn't look like it's happening. So, uh, yeah, Utah draws will be out by the time this one or results will be out by the time this one drops. Apply for Oregon, Nevada results are coming up here in a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, good luck to everybody out there in the draws. Better luck than to me. And if you guys are planning on attending the longbow safari, it is, oh yeah, May nineteenth. Uh, I think is the last day to register, right? I believe it's May nineteenth, the last day to register to be a shooter at the Longbow Safari, which uh, Traditional Arches of Oregon is hosting that this year. It's on uh, the Hoodoo Ski Resort. It's going to be a really good time. Um, I don't care what state you're at; you guys should travel out and hit up the Longbow Safari. We're really looking forward to seeing. Uh, anyone and everyone that can make it, it's going to be a super good time. Uh, what, what else is, uh, uh, coming up? We're going to Compton's. So any of you guys, um, I think it, what's that, the second week of June or something? It's Father's Day weekend. Father's Day weekend. That's right. So yeah, it's like the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th or something like something in that, uh, vicinity. Uh, yeah, if you guys are going or going to be, uh, can make it, uh, we're going to be there. We're looking forward to meeting you guys all there. Um, definitely, yeah. if you're not a member to Compton's, you guys need to look into it. You need to uh, sign yourself up. Yeah, their website. Uh, go just go go on uh, Compton Traditional Archery dot com or what. It's, they have a, it's super easy on their website. They got it yeah. dialed in. It's like 20 bucks or 25 bucks. Sign up for a membership. Help, help the whole community. And yeah, for sure. It's, we're going back east. Andy at Dictive Archery, our good buddy, he's coming with us. He's bringing his little guy Owen. We're going to hang out. We're going to have some, some Trag Quest swag while we're there. Some shirts and hats and, Got some guys lined up to do a few podcasts while we're there, so it's going to be yeah. awesome. Just support uh, Compton Traditional. They're right in line. Uh, that's why we partnered with them. Uh, what we believe in, they're promoting traditional bow hunting. Um, they're they're active in getting the youth involved into traditional bow hunting. Um, it's just a really good organization, and if uh, you are one of our brothers and sisters of the bow, you should be a member of this organization. There's really no way around it. Um, so even if you can't make it out to the rendezvous this year, um, you know, become a member. They'll send you a, a magazine. 
Uh, it's just a really good organization and community to be involved in. Yeah, that's for sure. And it's, you know, of all the things we do, you know, like in our regular life, I mean, you spend more than that. Most people that listen to this spend more than that at Starbucks in a week, you know, so just, just go on there, sign up and, uh, help the cause. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, for all the guys out, uh, in the Midwest, on the East Coast, down South, that are looking to come out West, that are wanting to pursue mule deer, elk, pronghorn, um, we've, we're thinking about you guys and we're going to be putting out some more content that's going to, uh, try to, uh, help that journey a little bit easier. So, uh, look forward to some of that content here soon where we will try to address some of that for you guys because we know that uh, we've been getting some messages from some of our listeners that want some more information on coming out west and backpack hunting and so we will definitely be uh, getting that to you guys soon yeah next week we should be uh should be getting that out to you so yep absolutely and we've got some other really cool things in, uh, in store um so yeah, we i, got I won't... A, we got a ton of Ton of good guys lined up. James just had to work all week, which is retarded. So Jeez, <laughs> we didn't get to line them up. So uh, next week we're hoping to be able to maybe drop a couple of them. So uh, be patient with us. Awesome. Well, once again, we appreciate you guys and enjoy Whitetail Adrenaline. We've got Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Welcome to the TradQuest podcast. How are you doing tonight, Jared? Good, good. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, we're excited to get you on. We've touched bases with you. Sounds like you are one busy individual. <laughs> I guess you could say that, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not all hunting and all, all play for sure. But uh, thanks for giving me a break from the edit, by the way. <laughs> so. So, um, why don't you let, for the folks that don't know who you are, uh, give them a little background. You run Whitetail Adrenaline. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I shouldn't say that I run it by any means anymore. I mean, my sister, she, uh, she works for me full time. She kind of handles all those, all those things that uh, I really just couldn't really do anymore. Um, but for those, uh, those people that, don't know much about um, what we do or anything. Uh, it's Whitetail Adrenaline. We've been producing uh, public land videos for 10 years. Um, this is actually, we're, in, we're, we're producing the 11th season right now, really, but I call it 10 years because it's 10 years ago this year that, that I actually kind of kicked things off or whatever. Um, we've done it for all those years without doing any sponsors. We've never had any commercials, advertisements, stuff like that in our videos. We don't do any television with it. It's just straight up, you know, like guys going out. Have you know? It's, it, it started out this way, and it's always kind of been this way. Just buddies, you know, just buddies that we go hunting with, and and we document our hunts and uh, just document it exactly as it happens. You know, whether we have a failed hunt, a failed stock. Uh, things go wrong, vehicles break down, whatever. It could, it could be anything, anything that, you know, just like you and your buddies, if you go on a hunt, you know, you, you're always, there's always things that obstacles and struggles you go through 
on that hunt. You know, it could be other hunters you're running into. It could be what, whatever. It could be a multitude of different things. And we document all that um, as it happens. So we don't. What that means is we don't go back and refilm that stuff. So it has a really the content has a has a super authentic feel because it is captured on the fly, raw and uh, authentic. So that gives you a little bit of an out, I guess outlook on it. And we've done the last eight seasons. We've done all on the ground as well. So it's just super like compared to a lot of whitetail footage, it's super engaging and it's a different perspective than than what a lot of whitetail hunt documentations are i guess out there right now yeah absolutely i think it's um i don't know if i should use the word unorthodoxed because we're western hunters and we hunt on the ground but in the states that you're hunting in out there in the midwest you know tree stand hunting seems to be the king amongst um archery folks and like you said you guys are hunting public land and hunting on the ground um that that seems to be like obviously public land is the new hip in thing at the moment um and you've been doing it for quite a long time but tell us more about like hunting on the ground me and bob were talking about it with there's got to be i don't know you're you're going into public with all these tree stand hunters and you're you're coming through there like a tasmanian devil um you know, tell us some of those logistics and, and how, how, uh, uh, that works out for you guys. It, it actually works out really well. And that's one thing that we started to realize, you know, our first three seasons, um, so our first three videos we did on the ground hunting, but we also did tree stand stuff, um, as well. And, uh, you know, the tree stand stuff, you know, it works. It's it's good. It's very effective, especially when you're hunting private ground where you have a little bit more control over the pressure levels and things like that. But when you start hunting public land, there's a lot of acreage that you have to be able to minimize and and essentially scratch off the list is not that productive in a very short amount of time. On a lot of these hunts, you might only have three days or five days or maybe you got a week, but you know, maybe it's a tough state. So you got to have a process for being able to eliminate acreage because a lot of public land, especially in your Midwest states where it's fairly pressured generally, it's uh, a lot of public land isn't worth your time. And so hunting on the ground just allows us to adapt and get in and out of places a lot quicker. It allows us to avoid areas of pressure a little bit easier where, you know, if we drive around a piece or, or whatever, or we pull up to the parking lot and it looks like there's, you know, other hunters hunting there or whatever, we're not so invested, you know, as much as like a typical tree stand guy would be where he's kind of got things generally kind of, maybe he's been there, maybe he's pre-scouted it. Um, and, and so he almost feels like he has to hunt that. Whereas if we pull up to the parking lot and it looks like the pressure levels are higher than what, what, we want to deal with for the acreage it's there because we, we, the truth is is if there's other guys out there hunting and it's the pressure level's that high we don't we don't care to be there you know because the chances of, of a big mature whitetail being there aren't, aren't that common um or you know is less likely so we'd rather devote our time at that point to trying to find you know something that's going to work a little bit more in our favor so in the different situations and not just with hunters but 
you know, also to deer, you know, we spot a big buck and we make a move on him right now, you know, try to get ahead of him. If he's locked out of the doe, we try to sneak in on him. Um, so it's a little bit different. You're, you have the ball a little bit more in your court as far as, uh, you're taking control of the situation a little bit more and you're not so much at the mercy of what this deer is going to do right now today or tomorrow or you know in the future you're you're saying he's there right now we're making a move so yeah uh, jared what i mean you're from the whitetail hunting side like what made you decide to to do the ground thing because it seems like nobody does it like what what made you decide like screw it We're, we're 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 packing up the tree stands and we're gonna decoy these things or you know chase them down, do some spot and stock. Like what, what made you decide to go that route? You know, I think it was just, uh, the, the big thing is, is how I grew up. Um, you know, I grew up on a small dairy farm. My dad was, uh, very, you know, big into hunting as far as, you know, bow hunting, gun hunting, um, in between chores, of course. But when I grew up, you know, and my dad took me out hunting, we didn't use tree stands. We'd go out and he, you think he can shimmy up that tree and get in that crotch of that tree, you know? And, and, you know, and it was like, you might have a tree peg in your pocket or two to get up there, but sometimes you'd be 15, 20 feet up there and you're just grabbing limbs as you're going up. And that was just kind of ingrained into me. And, uh, and so, um, and sometimes you just sit on the ground too. And some, you might be five feet off the ground. You might be on the ground. You might be 15, 20 feet up. And so that's just kind of how I grew up. And then, you know, I ran into a handful of situations when I was about 16 that just hunting on the ground just was the only option in, in the, the terrain. And I was super addicted to it. And I still played the tree stand game for quite a few years after that, but it was like, I'd play the tree stand game, but I'd also get on the ground at different points and different times too. And I just, hunting on the ground, just always, I was really always connected to it. It just, for me, being face to face, you know, with a whitetail on the ground, there's nothing, there's nothing that compares to it. Like there's, it's just me and this animal. And it's just super engaging and intense moment. And a lot can go wrong and a lot of times it does. <laughs> so, and that's part of the hunt. Yeah, and a lot of the, you know, quote-unquote whitetail experts would almost say that it wasn't feasible or possible to hunt them on the ground. And not only are you hunting them on the ground and getting it all uh, on camera, but you're doing it with a longbow. Um, It seems like you're, you know, definitely jumping over a lot of obstacles. And, like, also, I've noticed that several of the kills, there's not even a tree around. So you're actually going after them kind of in some wide open spaces sometimes. Correct. Yes. Some some situations, you know, are like that. And sometimes that's an advantage and sometimes that's a disadvantage from what I've found is a lot of times in that wide open stuff that you see us in, you have the advantage as far as. When you get a beat on this buck, a lot of times those situations are where they're locked down with a doe. Not always, but a lot of times they are. And one thing that's really nice is when you're pursuing a deer or any animal for that matter, it's on the ground like that. It's very key to always keep your vision on him or, you know, to know that he's not 
you know, all of a sudden getting on the seat and shimming over here to 300 yards. And so in those types of situations where it's pretty open, you have that advantage, but then your disadvantage a lot of times comes when they decide to get on their feet or when you start getting close quarters on them, because you don't have that cover to obstruct your, your outline as much. So a lot of times you're by that, by the time that arrow's leaving your bow, they already know, you know, like something's up or I'm getting, you know, they've got you spotted or pegged and that makes it super intense. Whereas in the, in the more wooded stuff and the more, you know, brush and, and things like that, you, you have a disadvantage as far as getting them located, but once you have them located and you get moved in, a lot of times you, you have a lot more cover to work with as far as keeping yourself from getting actually picked off. So, I mean, both have their pros and cons to it. Um, as far as the longbow goes, you know, it's 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 been a disadvantage in some situations, but it's also been an advantage in some situations. Every situation is different. Um, you know, what, what I've found is if you can get fairly effective with a traditional bow, especially, yeah, I prefer a long bow just because they're, you know, just, I feel like it's a little more forgiving, but that's just personal preference maybe too. But I find that inside a 20 yards on a mature whitetail, which generally doesn't tolerate a whole lot of nonsense before it flies the coop, so to speak, um, if you can get fairly effective, well, overall, it's a better weapon in that situation just because you don't have the three or four second delay of I got to get this, you know, compound drawn back and then I got to settle in because, you know, compounds because of the, you know, just the way they are and the physics and the let off and all that, they're not designed to really uh, to, to really rush those shots. So they're very, it's very easy to torque and blow your shot if you rush it too much. Um, there are some guys that have been able to do it fairly effectively and, and shoot a compound fairly fast, but, you know, there's nothing that's faster, you know, as far as a compound versus longbow, you can get that arrow off the bow a lot quicker in certain situations. So they, they both have their advantages at times and disadvantages. So. And you've been, uh, shooting the longbow strictly for how long um strictly since 2012 so okay. let's see 12 13 14, uh so six seasons six, six seasons, seasons is what i've done yeah okay yeah and so it seems like like you're saying you're hunting the ground well there's a lot of guys that are gonna still like ambush hunt off of the ground you're actually from what I, from the videos I've seen, you guys are driving around, glassing. You might make kind of a, a slope, soft push or, or, uh, a still hunt into an area, but you're not really just hunkering into a, a pinch point or a funnel. You guys are constantly trying to stir it up and, and put, make something happen. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, generally that's that's the case. I mean, we've ran into some situations where, you know, it's not, maybe we're not dealing with a whole lot of acreage or maybe it's just not cut right to really still hunt. So we have had some situations, some hunts where we've, we've been forced to kind of hunker down and, and, and sit, um, you know, whether that be a pinch point or whatever. And sometimes that's just kind of like a nice little change of pace. 
Um, I, you know, I love being out there still hunting and moving around, but sometimes when you're doing that day after day and not, you know, I mean, it gets a little bit wearing, you know, when you're going through the woods all day long, day after day, and you're just constantly trying to get a visual on one and you're not getting that visual. It's, it's kind of nice sometimes to have a little breather in there, but you only do that so long and then you get bored, (laughs) you know, um, you know, that that driving around or using the boat or whatever to try and get a visual on one that can be you know fairly productive you know so long as your terrain's fairly open you know obviously if you're hunting bigger timber areas or whatever you're going to have to go off of your gut or your past experience in this area if you have any a little bit more and actually get in there and and do your still hunting you're not going to gain a whole lot from say the vehicle but on the contrary, on those situations that you see us in those open areas where we're in the vehicle, that is some of the most mentally draining hunts of all time because there's nothing more frustrating than driving 300 miles of gravel roads in a day and not getting a visual on a big buck that you can pursue on public land. Um, and so, and sometimes you'll have two, three days like that. So you might rack up a thousand miles on all these roads and never be able to get out of the vehicle and go after one. And it, it, it gets to be a very hard to mentally hang in there. So I kind of break it down. You know, you got your mental, you got your mental endurance and you've got your physical endurance and then you've got your, your, uh, just your past experience and, and know-how from being in different situations and, you know, quite often I find that the mental endurance is sometimes the most important, especially on those do-it-yourself hunts. You know, it's just getting through that next hour, that next day, you know, and hanging in there, you know, until you finally get that opportunity, you know. Um, yeah, that mental, that's the mental side is important. And the hard part about the mental thing is I feel like until you've had the experience – like you have of a lot of years, like where, you know, this is going to work out eventually. If I keep doing this, it's hard to stay in it mentally. Like, like I feel like you probably have that to where you've done enough times, you know, if you keep, keep pounding it, keep searching new areas, doing your thing, you know, thousand miles here, thousand miles there, you're going to, it's going to happen for those, for those guys that haven't done that. It's, it's a lot harder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I've actually thought about that a little bit. Like, man, you know, you, you gotta be a little bit crazy. <laughs> uh, my, my buddy, Matt, he, uh, he spent about 60 days filming with me this last fall or filming with us this last fall. And he's been filming Jim Shockey's uncharted stuff for about the last four years. And he's, he's, he's still, it just worked out in his schedule that he could come, he's a buddy of mine. He could come give a hand or whatever. And, uh, it was like some of these hunts, you know, he was on, it was just like, he was just, you could tell he was getting a little bit like, you know, he hasn't been in those situations. No, he just kind of, kind of got to grind some of that stuff out a little bit. And I mean, he had an awesome attitude and, and everything, but you know, I could, I could tell like, you know, because he, he, he hadn't maybe experienced that as much or whatever. It was like he was kind of thinking probably in his head, like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, right. And, yeah. Uh, so he's used it, to it, pre-scouted 
guided, like everything's set up for when Shocky shows on scene and head on out where you, you guys are just kind of literally running and gunning. I don't, I don't, you know, just talking to him, I don't think it was so much that. It's just hunting whitetails in the Midwest on those public land hunts like that. It's a little bit different. Like I think what he's used to is out there in the field doing a lot of that trekking. And also one thing that he brought up multiple times is he's not used to, um, usually wherever they're hunting, they can hunt, you know, you know, they might be up in the Yukon or wherever. So all that land, wherever they see game, they can go pursue it generally. Um, so I think some of those obstacles were all just kind of new to him. You know, I mean, he told me about some of the hunts they were on that were just, I think the one time he was out in Russia for like 60 days and sub-zero weather and forgot to pack hunting boots or something like something happened. Maybe they got lost in the plane, but he about like got frostbit because all he had was no insulated hiking shoes all the time. And he's hoofing around with like 60 pounds of batteries for, you know, that entire duration on his back and, and, uh, you know, very grueling hunts and stuff, but it was just kind of like a little bit of a different, you know, some different things that he wasn't, you know, different settings that he wasn't really maybe used to or had, had been in. So that's, that's all I meant by that. Okay. I see. Yeah. So it seems like when you guys get on something, it's it's go go go. I mean, it seems like I guess the question I have is I'll see a buck or something in the in the big woods and he'll slip by and I'm like, "Well, there he goes." Where you guys are like, "We're we're going to circle around and jump this property and we're going to refind him and uh, it the confidence you guys have to to see deer and then go away from them and relocate them and get back on them and, and get it done uh, is super impressive. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, especially in the whitetail world, you know, for years everybody was, it was so ingrained, like, let's pattern these deer and we don't want them to know that we're hunting them and we don't want them to, you know, feel like they're pressured or whatever. So there was always kind of like this, uh, um, kind of like, it, it's, real easy to have get that ingrained in you to where you you don't take chances and you don't take risks because because you have that in the back of your head like oh i don't want to bump this animal but you know in reality you know even even in fairly managed situations you know how patternable really are they you know uh, and so we've found that our success overall is a lot higher if we just try to pursue that animal and even if we bump it let's get on and try to find the next one you know um we're not dealing with just 40 acres that we're hunting you know right dealing with you know all kinds of you know every state's different i mean we might be dealing with a 5,000 acre piece of public we might be dealing in that case we might be dealing with a 40 or an 80 but you know off the road a half mile is another 40 or an 80 or, or you, you know we're dealing with a lot more options as far as acreage and, and places so we've just kind of learned to take those chances and, and a big part of it is is we have to you know because every year we have to you know we've got to come out with these videos to keep the company rolling and everything and so we've kind of had to find ways to you know get that footage and get those encounters and get those situations on a consistent basis from year to year 
because it's very hard to do on whitetails on public land is to every year come out with another video that's got, you know, X amount of kills, not that you need a lot, but, you know, to, to get them every single year. I mean, it's, it's very challenging. That aspect in and, in and of itself is very difficult. Right. So what, what state do you reside in and what, what all states are you hunting? Yeah, I, well, I grew up in Wisconsin and, uh, Iowa is where I'm at now, but, um, you know, Iowa and Kansas are, you know, overall probably my favorite states, although Iowa was kind of a, uh, different odd year last year. It just wasn't overall that productive. Maybe things just ran a little bit different. You know, I think it was maybe a lot later of a rut, which typically, I mean, it's good late November, but typically early November it's good. But last year it was just kind of a struggle for a little while to to, to get our situations um, that we'd normally get. And uh, finally, the, the ball, you know, we turned the corner and all of a sudden it was like, you know, we were on a, a lot of good caliber gear, but uh, it just took, took a while. But those are, those are probably our two top whitetail states um you know we've done wisconsin for quite a few years obviously um we've done some minnesota we used to do north dakota a lot um that's that state's come back quite a bit from from what it you know it used to be really good and then they had a bunch of winter kill and bhutan and stuff and, and now they've kind of gotten back on track from my understanding um, we've hunted in a few other states as well, but those are kind of our main highlight whitetail states, I guess. I've uh, I've noticed some of the. I'm, I don't know if it's the theme per se, but I've noticed that you have a really good sense of it's not happening here right now, and you guys are ready to jump from another to another county or even another state, like. You make you kind of make decisions uh, on the fly by feeling, and a lot of guys get invested in a buck that they named or a, their favorite piece of property or their favorite state, and you guys will drive through the night and show up in another state and after the morning hunt, ready to go back to where you came from per se. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that just comes with. You know, a more, the more experience you get in those situations, you do go off a of feel. That's that's one of those ones where your feeling and your gut get more accurate with the more, or it should get more accurate with the more experiences you have as far as what you should do in this situation. And and that's one thing is we're very, very um, generally we're very, I don't want to say sharp, but we're, we're, we're always ready and waiting because at some point you're going to need to pull that plug and, and we're very quick to pull it if, if things aren't happening or, or you sense it's not going right. And, and you have to, we, we call it like treat each day as its own. So for instance, if we go into a place or, or we hunt a spot and it was just awesome yesterday, you know, we're probably going to start out there again the next day. Let's just say that's today. But it, but if it doesn't have that same feeling, if it's just dead in the water, you quickly pull pull out and and turn and burn and try to find something else that's productive that day. And maybe we'll pop back the next day. Maybe in a couple of days we'll pop back into there. I mean, 
it could be just an off day for the spot. Maybe we bumped here that first day. You know, there's a lot of different variables in there. But, but yeah, we have a very um, aggressive pull the plug if it's not happening kind of mentality. And that, and that's partly like hunting them down. That allows you to get in and out of places and and adapt a lot quicker to to that. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I guess that's, that's very important. It's, it's uh. We call it not getting emotion attached to deer or locations and spots. Um, and the most, <laughs> well, it's funny because that's exactly what happens. You know, people start getting um, pictures of deer or pre-scouting too much and all that. And all that can be good and used to your favor. But it's at the same point, it's beginning to lock you down and your mind begins to pre-imagine how everything's going to unfold. And it's kind of like if you start to get a little bit excited about it gal you know and and all of a sudden you're putting the cart before the horse just a little bit same thing can kind of happen and yeah. and so you know you, you got to be a little bit careful of that and uh yeah i always i always battle so, with that stuff when i'm deer and elk hunting too you know it's like i put three years into this area well i mean prime example james is trying to get me to go on some harebrained hunt this year and i'm like hey man i've, <laughs> I've got this other spot i've got three years in you know, like I, I always think I have it figured out, but on the other hand, a lot of my best hunts are, like you said, are ones where I, I rolled in in the middle of the night and I just went for it and, and mix, mixing it up sometimes is, uh, is better than that. You know, like you said, getting locked in. So yeah. On, um, um, on one of your guys' videos, you guys just were like, we're, going to Wyoming and you guys just jump in. I think it was like a minivan or a suburban and you guys just bail out to the West. And it seems like what you guys did some internet scouting, I guess. And you just rolled in there and we're just on big bucks right out the gate. Yeah, that, that was a draw, a draw unit take. Um, okay. Yeah, that was back. That was back when we had the Ford Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah, that was that was that car's last last hunt. I think it had two hundred and thirty six thousand miles and it was in a mess. It was uh yeah, his shocks were out, it was bottomed out in the back. It, but but you know what? You just make it happen, you know, it's just like that's what we're using, that's what we're working with. Um but uh no, I mean that's what you just said there too about your own experience with okay. I can relate to that so many times just on the whitetail aspect too where some of our best hunts are the first time you know we've ever hunted there or showed up there or whatnot um you know the the other advantage you have when you're coming in ice cold without anything that ever happened in the past or no previous knowledge or anything one advantage you have is you're not attached to it and i think sometimes you can see things a little bit clearer that for that day as things are unfolding or as you're discovering things where it's real easy, you know, take whitetail hunting, for instance, it's really easy to get hung up on, you know, a lot of people pre-scout in the spring. Well, it's really easy to get hung up on that sign that you found in the spring. And then in the fall, you're kind of attached to what you found in the spring. Well, that was last spring. And that sign was made the fall before, you know, and, you know, a lot of whitetail, you know, whitetail hunting in the Midwest 
you know, there's crops within a half a mile somewhere, whether it's off the public or part of the public or, or whatnot. And sometimes those crops change, sometimes grocery levels change. A lot, there's a lot of variables that come to, into play with, you know, that sign. And who knows, maybe that sign was totally nocturnal movement from deer on private ground. But the guy that's coming in ice cold that's never been there before, I think sometimes he can read those situations a little bit uh, clearer just because he's not attached to it um and maybe i'm wrong on that but i i guess thinking of my own situations i've i feel like that's the case well yeah so it's what it's, is, a, it's a puzzling kind of thing because there is times where hunting that same area and seeing the deer movement you know like it, where it does help like it seems like correct. there's definitely times where where you know to look because you've hunted there for so long but there's also those times where you're not looking in those other areas because you've hunted there so long and it, and it plays to your advantage. So I totally get what you're saying. Like, the, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of times where our first hunt in such and such wilderness, you know, it's like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, it, it seems like you just stumbled into them, but there's something to that. I mean, and, and I've never really heard anybody say it that way, but, but that's exactly right. I mean, it, there is a little something to keeping like every option open as, you know, like kind of the way to say it, I guess, like instead of just honing in on, you know, like you go into an area that you've hunted for five years, you're going to go to a certain part of that area. Like there's just your experience and, and what you saw, you're going to go to one, you know, you're going to kind of, you're going to have that tunnel vision. Whereas if you just rolled in, everything is open, you know? Right, right. And I think what you just said there, I think, you know, if a guy knows, has this thought process going into it, he can use his prior knowledge of the area and everything to his advantage, but also in the back of his head, know that, you know, that doesn't necessarily apply this year or today when I'm hunting. Mm -hmm. And to keep that open mind, like, okay, if it's not happening, I got to, you know, make you know, they're wild animals that, you know, they might be somewhere else. They might be in a different draw. They might be, you know, down the mountain range a few miles or, or whatever. But just, but just knowing that going into it, like, don't get too carried away with thinking this or get too attached into this is where they're going to be. It, it's know? Because also that prevents you from getting mentally frustrated with the situation. You know, I, I've seen this a lot where, where not only myself, but other guys, they get all that ingrained in their mind like this is the way it's going to unfold and then when it doesn't it kind of mentally messes with their head and then they it takes them a little bit it's a little bit more difficult for them to um snap out of it and and okay what do i need to do right now how do i need to adjust and make this happen it, it kind of just sucks the life out of them a little bit you know what i mean yeah, yeah it's almost it's almost like we want the deer to be creatures of habit but at the end of the day we are the creatures of habit and we get into these habits uh that either we find success or failure in like you say then you're beating your head like why didn't it unfold the way i you know the way last time i came here last time that buck walked through here and i, I think it's easy to get hung up on that and seeing that raw emotion and footage of you guys are like we're pulling out and we're, you know, your buddy looks at you like, you think we should? Yeah, we're out of here. We're going to the next spot. And 
I think it's it's hard to do that. It, it, it is sometimes hard to to give up on your little dream of that spot that day and, and move on to the to, to the next spot. Right, right, and, and you're right. In that moment, that can be very difficult, especially when it's a new type of approach. That can be very difficult to to do. But you know, you also got to look at it like you know, if they did do exactly what I wanted every time, how much fun would that be? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that wouldn't be much of a hunt if they did everything I wanted all the time. So I mean, uh. um, and I always kind of look at it like this is when I get a visual on an animal that I want to go pursue and, and stalk or whatever, that's all I really need to know outside. You know, obviously I need to know where property lines are and stuff like that, but I could see it right now. Like, okay, he's right here. You know, this is, we can use this draw. We can use this to get ahead of him. And it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like a fun, you know, adventure game, so to speak. Like, okay, I've never been here before, but you can kind of visualize and, and pick your route and everything. So you don't, Sometimes I feel like people think that they need to know, and I was guilty of this a long time ago, you know, maybe around 20 years old. You know, I was guilty of of, uh, feeling like I needed to know everything about, like for an out-of-state hunt, feeling like I needed to know everything about, like, where I was going to be hunting and all these details that really doesn't really, it doesn't play as big of a hand as one would think. You know, it's... In fact, I've, you know, I've done enough hunts now where I've just showed up, never been there before, you know, and, you know, got my visuals and, you know, we've made it happen, you know, in a very short amount of time that, you know, I'm comfortable with it now. But, you know, 12, 15 years ago, you know, it was like almost like, what, you're going to do that and think that you're going to actually be successful? You know, you, you can't, it was easy to think that there's no way I need to know all these details about everything, you know, before Right. And how how old are you, Jared? 33. 33. Yeah. In my experience, we hunt blacktails out here in Oregon. Um, and in November, you know, they're the ruts, same time as the white, the white tails. And, you know, at the days that I can't hunt, I'm calling my friends maybe on the coast or in the valley or in the cascades. And I'm like trying to get the rut report, you know, like, What'd you see? What was the, are they rutting hard? What's going on? And it seems like if you get a report, like it's happening right now, that it really doesn't have much merit because if you go there tomorrow, it already happened. Like you miss, like you have to be there when it's happening. And it's just, it's almost like that's the feeling I get from you guys. Like it's not happening. We're going to put ourselves in a spot where it is happening because if you hear it was happening, well, you already missed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always happening somewhere. Right. And that's and so what you just said there is there's a lot of truth to that, at least that I see in our situations where, you know, it is always happening somewhere. And yesterday it was happening here and today it's not. So let's go find the next, you know, and we've had multiple hunts on our videos that have really showcased that, you know, very well where it was hot here one day and the next day it's like, where'd they all go? Well, they're somewhere and they're doing, you know, they're, it's hot somewhere. Maybe it's a half mile down the road. Maybe it's, maybe who knows, maybe those deer went over onto some private ground or whatever. And now you got to start from scratch and for that day and go check something else out. 
and that might lead you into a whole new situation, which, you know, ultimately gives you option. You know, you got, and that, that's one of the beautiful things about public land is, is, uh, you know, there's generally a different, a decent amount of options and, and acreage and different parcels and, and whatnot that you can, you can go to. So like in a scenario where you spot a buck that you want to pursue and he is on private, but he is close to public, is that a buck that you guys are going to put the time in and watch and hope that he moves to public? How much time are you investing into this buck that is not quite uh, stepped into public? Um, every situation is different. You know, let's just, okay, take for example, if we've had two rough days of not being able to get on anything, and we got a big buck that's, you know, with it, I mean, this just happened last season. We had a big 150 class eight pointer, you know, and he was probably 60 yards from public with a doe. And, you know, we hadn't had much happening in the last couple of days. So we did. We sat and watched him for a while. Well, it didn't work in our favor. He, we watched from a long distance, but, but, uh, it, you know, he ended up moving further on the, on the private, you know, now if things had been cranking, you know, we maybe would have watched him for 10 minutes and kind of gotten a feel, okay, they better down. So, you know, they're probably going to be there a while. Let's go see if we can find something else. But in that case, we hadn't been really getting a lot of visuals for a couple of days or whatever. So, you know, we sat there and burnt up, I don't know, an hour or two probably, you know, watching this deer to see if maybe they'd end up on public and, and they didn't, you know, um, and, and, and sometimes you can kind of look at the lay of the land and get a pretty good idea like, okay, he's with a doe. There's no crop out that way. The crop's on the public in this case or, or whatever, or, or there's no cover out that way. There's a really good chance he's going to end up crossing. So sometimes you, you, that's why every situation is different is you got different mm. factors in there. So um, It seems like the, the decoy plays – uh, a big role in your guys's hunt. Can you speak uh, to that? It it does. It's just there again. It's 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 just a tool, and it there's a lot of times it's not the right tool. I would say about one out of ten times it actually comes into play. You know, um, if you got a buck locked down with a doe in fairly open country. And you can sneak in there fairly close without him ever seeing you and then get that up. Well, then that works out pretty good. But if you're going to try to use that decoy to move at him from a distance and he can, he or she can see you, usually it's the doe that gets a little more finicky than the buck. Um, you know, the female has the wits, you know, right? right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, it'll, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough situation, you know. A lot of times we still go after them without the decoy just because that decoy, as soon as you're popping it up and, you know, using it, they're still, they're, they're wise animals. And if they detect something that doesn't seem right, you know, now you've just given away your location, you might bump them, you know, off of public in a lot of these situations or further on to public, which is, you know, good, but now you've, you know, let them know that, you know, there's something's not right. Now they're looking for you. You know, it's very hard sometimes to put on another stock. So it's, uh, and then you got wind. If there's much wind, then generally, 
you know, the decoy staked is kind of like given just enough wiggle that doesn't look right to where it's, you know, it's a good tool to have, but there's a lot of situations that it's, it just isn't going to work out that good. You know, I, I think sometimes people watch the video and they think, oh, if I had a decoy like that, I could just run up to it. <laughs> well, it don't work like that, you know. I mean, you know, that one situation, it looks like that's what's going on. Um, the first time we ever got that to work, uh, Shay was going up to this, you know, we, we were running out of light and it just, you know, a lot of people probably didn't catch us in this video. Like, holy cow, that guy's just running right up to him with his deer. Well, if you look at that box, all of his attention was on his doe that was in the weeds that couldn't see the decoy in this situation. And, you know, Shay stopped at just the right time when that deer ended up kind of looking his way just a few seconds before he turned and looked and put all of his attention on that decoy, she was stopped by that point. So he saw this deer moving up. What the, the buck thought that in his peripheral vision thought that this was just a buck moving up, but wasn't locked onto it. If he'd have been locked onto it, he'd have been like, well, that ain't right. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like a, it's, it, you know, it looks a little hokey and it looks a little like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, how's that? Well, it was just the timing of him looking in the weeds. And his attention was there. And so it worked out there. But uh, generally, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so you're okay. saying, uh, you know, if there's a buck with a hot doe locked down, chasing the doe around, and you can get up close without them knowing you're there, then you throw up that buck decoy. That's that's the only time you're going to use it. Is that what you're saying? Pretty, pretty, pretty much. Pretty much in my experience, I mean, we've tried going at them from – long distances where they could see us with it. We've never had that work other than that one time. And that wasn't super long distance, but generally if they can see you come, it just, I mean, it looks like a ghost coming at them, you know, yeah. it just looks yeah. like one solid cutout, you know, so it don't look right. And uh, therefore it doesn't work. And, and even so, like you have to be close enough to break that, that uh, barrier of fight or um, flight, you know, Exactly, like you're an intruder. You're coming into my personal space. You know, where this buck with his nose, buck says, all right, bud, you're in my personal space. You're getting a little too close. I don't like it. And, you know, and how far is that, a, is that 100 yards, 150 yards? Like what, what's your space there? I like to get within 50, 60 yards. That's, okay. that's with, within. You start to get much further than that, and now all of a sudden you've drawn all that attention. And they've got several minutes to, to look. Usually they, they do a standoff then. You know, okay. the, you know, like let's say I'm at 80 yards or 100 yards. Well, now a lot of times they're just going to recognize that you're there and then they'll have this little standoff. Well, that gets a little bit sketchy because you might have 10, 15 minutes of him staring you down and something starts like ticking for him like uh, something's not right there. Yeah. You know, whereas you start, you get into that 40, 50, 60 yards on them, they snap their head over, see you, and they don't waste any time. Like, you know, they don't stare down or whatever. They just start coming right away. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and if they do that whole standoff thing, you know, now you're sitting there and you're not close enough to getting close, but now you've drawn all that attention to yourself, and there's, it's very difficult to, to get closer now. It yeah, sounds a lot, a lot like bugling, bugling in bulls. 
that you know you bugle at them from 150 and they're they're making plans to uh, exit, but you bugle at their cows instead of 50, and they're like, well, I'm gonna have to deal with this. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They, I mean, they'd rather just get their dough out of there, or, their, or in this case, you know, their cows out of there, you know, and and, and not deal with it. You know, that ultimately, I think that's usually what they want to do is not deal with it and just get them out of there. And uh, so, but, your decoys—it's it's a homemade decoy. You guys looks like you guys kind of added to that, made that. Yeah, it's it's got like a a deer head on it. Explain it like. Explain to us your decoy. It is basically a cutout, and on the one side you see a graphic. On the other side, there was a graphic. And that was in the first video that we tried getting it to work. Um, it just didn't work that good. It, it would work fine probably in like woods where the sun isn't shining on it, but we just, we got too much shine on it. And, uh, so yeah, then, uh, we revamped it and, and put a deer head on it and some hide. <laughs> it's fairly light, fairly rigid. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, got us some deer, got us on some situations for sure. So you got like um, a, you got so, a stake where you could stake it in the ground and then shoot? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a stake. We run it right up through it and then we got a secondary stake if it gets very windy. Um, but you, there's nothing to really shoot through the decoy. Mm-hmm. Um, generally a, a buck will, you know, if he's going to approach the decoy, he'll come up the, the side that to face that animal. You know, if he's coming in to, you know, run that buck off or whatever, generally, so in our case, they'll come up the right side of it, generally. Um, but, you know, I got into a situation last year where, um, actually two years in a row, where they came up the left side. Well, that t- totally throws you for a curve because now all of a sudden you got to get, you got to get switched to the other side, which isn't a big deal, except for if you don't really have any cover at all. <laughs> around you then then there you're sitting and then you know like in this case both cases they you know peg me so excuse me not two seasons in a row that happened just last season so but that that's happened before where they do that so so what what does scouting look like for you guys i mean are is it just how often are you returning to the same spots and how often are you going to new spots and are you the scouting just happening via internet or are you actually putting boots on the ground? What does that look like for you guys? Um, pretty much if, if we've been to an area before, we'll generally start out in the more productive spots, you know, that, that we've had, but very often those aren't productive again. Maybe, maybe it's a year later, maybe it's two years later, but, quite often they're not that productive the next time we come back. So we already know that going into it, but we are going to start there just to, because we got a little bit of a heads up on it. Um, you know, and then, and then we just go from there, you know, um, we don't really do any pre scouting. I mean, you know, a little bit maybe on the internet, you know, if we're, if it's a new area, we might look at, you know, what public land options are available in that area. But outside of that, I don't do the traditional look at the pinch points, look at, you know, all those details. No, just no trail cameras, yeah. no naming deer, none of that. 
No, I haven't. We don't name them until we're in the battle with them. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's kind of our joke or whatever. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, if we get in the battle with one and he, he, you know, puts the slip on us or whatever, well, then we might give him a name just for fun, you know. Sure. Um, but outside of that, no, I don't, I haven't ran cameras huh, for probably 12, 13 years. Um, so no, I don't, I don't really do any of that. Not, not that it can't, you know, be productive. I kind of like just straight up, just going out there, just you against them without that. And then also, um, you know, they, they'd be a lot to maintain, you know, as far as like going into these areas, placing a bunch of cameras. And then it's here again, I've seen what, you know, what they can cause as far as you getting attached to deer or certain spots mm-hmm. or whatever. So they could almost, I don't feel that they'd have a huge impact in, in making, you know, our hunts that much more successful. So yeah, that, not, that's not what... for our style of hunting, how we're off the cuff going from state to state kind of thing. That's what I, I just love about the videos is you guys are, I mean, you're breaking all the rules. <laughs> like, all the rules are being broken. Like, you, you, know, you, hey, you guys can't be doing that. You're not relying on any gadgets. You're not relying on, I mean, you guys are buying clothing from Walmart and pulling out spray paint in the parking lot. And you're like, yeah, it's tan. Everything. <laughs> Tomorrow we're hunting is going to be like grass. We're going to paint this yellow and add a little white. And, uh, no matching camo, no $50,000 trucks, no Azonic machines, no tree stands. Uh, everything that's associated with the hunting industry and the whitetail uh, hunting, you guys, uh, you guys aren't doing any of that stuff. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think, I think it uh... – well, well, just take the, the the whole, you know, just buying some clothes from Walmart or whatever and spray painting them. I mean, sometimes that's literally your best option. Like in some of these situations where there's grass, I mean, there's some different camos out there, but, you know, generally they're too dark in different areas or they're noisy or, or whatever. And, and some of it's just fun to, to do that, <laughs> just, you know. And then, and then, you know, it's also like um, – in a lot of those situations, when you're going on a spot and stock, like hunt, like a lot of that stuff, you know, we get a visual and then we, you know, decide how we're going to go in. Well, you know, some people, well, geez, you're going to spray paint. They're going to smell you. Well, you're playing the wind when you're, when you're going in on those situations anyways. And, yeah. and, uh, and so that doesn't really, you know, become too much of a factor. And, you know, the other thing, you know, as far as like camouflage goes, you know, one thing that's always kind of like stuck in my head, why would I want to dress with the same camel all the way through my whole body? Because then I just created an outline of exactly my human shape, you know, which is how an animal identifies, you know, a human is, is off the shape, you know? And so it's like, that doesn't really make sense anyways. Um, and, and whatever, I mean, I'm wearing a solid top sometimes too. So I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself right there. You know, it's like, (laughs) I should really probably be wearing a top that breaks up. You know, some of it's just like you just can't get too caught up sometimes, I think, in the details that, that don't matter because it can become too much of a job. It's just like you got to have fun with it. And the general rule of thumb that I've found is if an animal's looking at you, you can't move. doesn't matter what camouflage you got. You know, exactly. You, you, generally, you generally can't move. I mean, if you're 
very exposed at all. You, you can't move. And if they're not looking, well, then you could be wearing a white shirt and move, you know? <laughs> so, right. So it's like, that's the way I kind of, kind of look at it. Um, but, uh, I, know, obviously I, I, optics, obviously optics are like about the only, you know, thing that I really like. If I didn't, if I forget my binoculars, you know, if I head out in the woods or whatever and I forget my binoculars, I feel like lost without them just because, you know, we're relying so much on visuals. So outside of that, in your weapon, you know, there's not really a whole lot that I worry too much about as far as, <laughs> you know, sometimes all that gadget and gear stuff can really drape you down, you know, like, well, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of the younger generation who almost quit before they get started because the industry's got them convinced that if you don't have, you know, 72 trail cameras and a Zonix machine and seven stands and matching Sitka camo to head to toe that you're not going to be able to kill a deer. And I mean, not only is none of that true, but I mean, you guys are filming yourselves. Like, like I said, breaking all the rules per se. Uh, it's, it's just really refreshing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, you know, that's one thing I've always liked about how, the videos have showcased it too is you know especially for younger people that don't you know that are maybe getting into hunting maybe they didn't have a father or, or whatever that hunted is getting them in and they're trying to go out there and, and maybe dabble in hunting you know i don't want them to feel like they need to have you know ten thousand dollars in gear and a brand new truck in order to or you know whatever in order to be successful or do an out-of-state hunt or or whatever you know, it's like, it just kind of, I want them to see that, Hey, you know what? I just work with whatever I got, whatever, whatever I, you know, and I'll, I'll get by and, and, and make it happen. And, and it's not necessarily going to play a big factor into my success, whether I have all that stuff or not. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've always really liked that, you know, that's the way the videos have kind of, you know, yeah, always it, portrayed it. It's real authentic. I mean, you guys are breaking down all the time, like in this car, or that car, <laughs> borrowing this truck, hooking up with this friend. It, it kind of reminds me uh, of some BMX or snowboard video, the way you guys are just out there tearing it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and that's one thing. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's not just the public land hunting videos. It's it's you know, a lot of, there's a lot of different things, you know, it's like, it's meant to showcase, you know, hunting adventures and be, you know, entertain people with stuff like that, that happens that they can relate with, you know, like, you know, Hey, you remember that time our spare tire wouldn't come down, Bob, as they're watching the video, you know, I've got a lot of people that have related to those different instances, you know, and maybe it's not the same type of breakdown, but, but they've broke down of some sort or, or whatever. And it kind of, brings back those own memories that they had, you know, when they went on a hunt or, or if they haven't, you know, kind of pre gets them, you know, like they can, you know, okay. They, they end up on a hunt and something like that happens. It's like, Oh, this is just like something that happens on whitetail adrenaline. Right. <laughs> you know? Seen so, this before? No big deal. Oh, they got pulled over. Oh, they got pulled over again for speeding. Now I get wise because they only <laughs> have so much time and they're trying to make stuff happen, <laughs> or they just weren't paying attention. <laughs> now, are you guys starting the season? I know a lot of whitetail guys, and we're from the West Coast, so 
you know, we don't exactly relate. Uh, but we, you know, we do hunt mule deer and blacktails and some whitetail and whatnot. But are you guys getting started in October before the rut? Um, in this, what they call, I guess, the lull or whatever. Are you guys getting hot and heavy after them in October? Or are you waiting for the, are you, is the rut really, um, are you relied on that for, for filming in the hunts? You know, if you could speak to yeah. that. Yeah, I, I guess we've relied a lot more on the rut overall. Um, we used to do a quite a bit of early season stuff, like early September. There's a couple of them states, North Dakota, Wyoming, would open up, uh, you know, first of September, right around there. And so we'd head out there. But, um, you know, I did North Dakota like 20 sometimes over the years. And uh, it just kind of kind of lost its appeal just because I did it so many times to where it wasn't that much of an adventure anymore. I didn't enjoy it as much anymore, you know. You know, so I figured I'd give it a break. Um, so I haven't done as much like September or early mid October stuff. You generally, I'm starting whitetail stuff more that third, fourth week of October is when I start kicking in on that. I've actually, a lot of people don't know this, but I've been working on an elk bow video. Nice. Um, so, so it's, uh, it, it's four years in the making right now or, or close to it. It will be four years in the making. So, um, that's, that's mainly what I've been tying up my September with. And cool. uh, what states are you hunting then, for, for the Wapiti? I've done, uh, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, and New Mexico. So, nice. um, it's, uh, I mean, they've been kicking my butt. I'll tell you that right now. And it's going to make, <laughs> really entertaining video because of course i went into it kind of like i don't want to say a little bit a little bit cocky but kind of like making a joke like whatever you know i've been chasing these white tails on the ground these elk ain't no big thing you know right you know like (laughs) you know i'm having fun with it i don't actually mean it but it's like at the same point though i quickly realized like okay maybe i okay it was a joke but it's actually like a lot more difficult on a public land setting anyways than what I ever anticipated. Um, you know, and I guess if I was going out there with a compound, I'd be pretty good right now. I'd have four, six by six. So, um, you know, but, uh, I've been trying to do it with a long bow. And, uh, last season I was close on two really big, really big bulls, about a 340 in New Mexico and about a 350 in Montana. So, it's like, and I, I had him, I had the one, the big one, the 350 in long door range twice, and I just couldn't get an arrow off the bow. So, are you just, guys yeah. bugling, cow calling, decoying, spot and stalking, uh, all of the above? Like, what's going on with well, your elk hunts? Yeah, that's that's what's going to make it entertaining, is because I'm not a very good elk caller, and so it's like I pull out a bugle call and try to bugle, and I'm like, yep, not doing that anymore. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Like, okay, picture, picture the first time a guy is ever going to go elk hunting and he's not going with anybody else and he's just done whitetail stuff and he stops and buys some calls and thinks that he's just going to like master, you know, cow calls and, and bugles and whatnot out of the gate and then they film everything. That's basically what it's like. Like this guy don't have a clue. And so, especially that first season, it's, it's, it's like that. I've gotten a quite a bit better, you know, I've been able to bugle and fire up bulls now. But, um, this last year, but, uh, or at least the second hunt I did last year. But, um, 
for the most part, you know, my strategy was, you know, spot them and, and just lay quiet and move in. Um, that was kind of like what I thought I was going to be doing, but I quickly found out that sometimes it'd probably be good to have a little bit more tools in my bag, like maybe know how to bugle and maybe know how to cow call and what, when and what to do. You know? like, so I did, Hey, I did call in a, a smaller six by six my first year with a hoochie mama. So I'm oh, pretty man. There you excited go. about that. So, so, Going from waiting for November to happen to taking up elk hunting, uh, I mean, how different is it? I mean, are, are you more so looking forward to September now, or I mean, how's your feelings about that? I am. Um, I do really, really enjoy elk bow hunting more more than I do whitetail hunting at that time of the year. I mean. I, I love whitetail rut hunting, so obviously that's right. a different deal. But but it's a nice nice change for me. Um, but I've gotten I've got way too much money tied up in this chasing an elk. <laughs> I'll probably ever get it back when that video comes out. <laughs> just between just between all everything, you know, uh, paying guys to film and and you know all, all the expenses, you know. You know how it is when you start when you start elk hunting on these do-it-yourself hunts. You got, you start oh GPS cards for every state. You know where you're at, and oh I need a GPS and actual you know so I you know when I'm out you know so all that's all that gear and stuff starts to add up and and so yeah I'm I'm very uh, invested in it at this point. But um, uh, yeah, hopefully this year I can actually make make things happen. So. What's your what's your plans for September? You know, um, I should draw Colorado, so I'll probably do Colorado. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna cheat and buy a landowner tag in New Mexico, but a landowner where you can hunt the public land. Yeah. Um, just because you gotta wait so long to get your tag, you know. I, yeah. I applied for yeah. New Mexico, but I didn't get drawn, mm-hmm. and and so as much money as I, you know. In, I've stuck into everything. It's like just, you know, a little bit more for a, a, a tank that I can hunt, you know, in New Mexico. I'll, I'll do it just, just because of that. I'm not going to go to, like, a trophy unit. I just went to – I'll probably go to the same unit I did last year, which isn't considered a trophy unit, but there was still some pretty good pretty good hunting there. Um, and then uh, I might go to Idaho later September after New Mexico and Colorado are done. And then I'll have my Montana take. Um, <laughs> you're in it, buddy. One, one thing I like, what's that? I said, you're in it, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, generally last season I got so far behind on editing that I didn't get started until what was it? Like the 16th or 17th or something like that. Uh, September. So I actually um, canceled the first, whole half of September, which kind of sucked, but because um, I'd re- much rather be out in the field than behind a computer monitor, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, that's that's kind of my plans right now. So, hopefully, I mean, I mean, I'm right on the verge. I can tell I'm right on the verge of of you know making putting it all together. Happen. I actually. Yeah, yeah, I actually passed what I thought 
I should probably, sh- I should have shot the bull, but he was like a 290 in New Mexico. I probably should have shot him. And, uh, I, you know, I guess I didn't think he was 290, but he was, I thought he was probably like 270. And I had like four other bulls fired up at the same time. And you know how it is in the heat of the moment. It's like, okay, I got five more days. Just found the spot. <laughs> you know, there's bulls fired up everywhere. Like this bull comes strutting through. I'm like, ah, he's probably like 270. It turns out he's like 290. But I'm like, oh, whatever. We got five more days, you know, kind of deal. And I almost did kill like a 340 in the last day, but. Obviously, that didn't happen, so I wish I would have shot the 290. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, I love it. Anyway. And so you're editing. coming out. You're editing, it sounds like, six, four, five, six months out of the year? Um, You know, I only get about four, generally. I usually only get about four months out of the year. Last year was about four and a half. Uh that I had to do four and a half, five months. Um, but generally I got about four months, three and a half to four months to, to make it happen. But it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work because, you know, to capture it, to, to, to have it come across on screen, how it does, where it's got that super, you know, unscripted, authentic, real feel that you never know what's going to happen next. You have to literally be filming everything out in the field. Because you don't know. As the camera guy, you don't know where this story is going. And so we don't go back and refilm things. So what that means is when we get to editing, you know, it's like we'll have, like this year, we got over 10,000 clips. You know, I don't know how many hours of footage that is, but hundreds of hours of footage. And we literally got to go through all that and carve it down. And it, it's it's a massive, massive project. And, you know, I hired a guy in first week of October full time. And, uh, he doesn't have a, he hasn't had a lot of real prior training or, or experience other than a little bit with me, which is going to work out really good. Cause he's basically, you know, he doesn't, it's easy to train a guy that has no prior experience really, as long as he has the desire to do it, because you can kind of mold him to exactly what you want versus somebody that's not, so it's working out really well, but I'm probably not going to, you know, we're still going to be pushing a pretty tough deadline to hit this year. But um, he's doing a great job, and I'm really looking forward to next year because it should be overall a relief for me. And then also I think we'll be able to take the overall production value to a, to a higher level than it's ever been as far as, you know, the post-production work. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like this year's project between his hours and my hours and then my buddy, John, um, John Adams, uh, he'll be coming in here in a few weeks to give a hand, you know, I mean, we'll have over 3000 hours in the post-production 3000 over 3000. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I know I, I called you. Two weeks ago, I got your number from uh, Kevin over at the Deer Hunter podcast, and I got a hold of you, and you had, like, no voice, and you said that you're just coming off the show season, and you're editing 18 hours a day, and you just pulled an all-nighter, and then I called you tonight, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to edit all night, but I could squeeze this podcast in. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like. I mean, uh I'll give you an example. I was up for 49 hours straight until Tuesday afternoon. 
You know, I mean, I do stuff like that all the time. Like 24 hours straight without sleep is like, it don't even fade. Like that ain't nothing really. It's just, I've done it so much that, um, especially I get into about, about mid July. That's where it's really going to get, that's where the days are. The days are going to turn into the next day and the next day and, and everything. Yeah. And, and to so remind that's, the that's listeners, really Jared is, is doing whitetail adrenaline for a living and he's putting out DVDs um, with no sponsors. He's not taking uh, any of the hunting industry uh, sponsorships or partnerships. He's just out there putting these videos together and selling them himself. I mean, the ultimate American entrepreneur, per se. Yeah, I mean, it's been... You know, I mean, we've been at it 10 years and it's been definitely a grind, but I think doing it this way has just allowed me to keep it when we're out there hunting, it's just allowed it to keep it a little bit more fun for me, you know, and allowed to, to keep the hunting, you know, just hunting, if that kind of makes sense. Like when, you know, when it got started, it's like me and the buddies and stuff, uh, mainly my cousin, you know, we just wanted to keep it fun, you know, and, uh, that that was a big part of it you know it's definitely gotten to be um more stressful now that i'm 10 years in it's kind of funny because you go through different stages you know it's like my struggles and stuff that i had five years ago aren't the same ones that i got today now it's you know now today to keep the wheels turning it's like i gotta come out with two videos a year and it's like you know, we start to have, you know, the last couple of years, we haven't had as good of a bow season overall, um, you know, or it's taken a little bit later in the season. Mid, We're pushing mid-November before, you know, we're really making things happen. And all of a sudden that stress starts to wear on me a little bit, like, you know, and, and I shouldn't probably worry about it so much because I've had so many people tell me, like, you know, I don't watch your videos for the kills, you know and whatnot but they're still important you know i mean i don't need a bunch but you know a a good handful you know that's what people want you know i mean you gotta have them and so it's gotten a little bit more stressful that that aspect has gotten and i think people that really could kind of sense that in the the newest videos that came out you know they could kind of sense at least with the bow video that you know you could tell that i was a little bit more on edge and a little bit more tense and stressed out and that's that's what was really going on right there is you know, all of a sudden I'm starting to think, okay, got my sister working for me full time. And we got to have two videos come out to make these wheels turn. And it's like, we don't have a bow kill. And it's November 10th, you know, that ain't good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of becoming a new challenge a little bit there for me is, okay, you know, the whole reason I started this, you know, or, or one of the biggest aspects, you know, I want to make sure I kept hunting fun you know and so it's it's going to be a little bit of challenge a little bit of a challenge in the future to make sure that you know how to manage that to where it doesn't really affect me mentally out there in the field as much when we're not getting you know because that's hunting that that's that's how hunting is sometimes you know some some seasons you go out there and it's like boom 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 wow you know we're getting really good at this or wow we're having a great year and then the next year it could be a little bit more like okay you know like come on all right get the wheels turning here what's going on you know what i mean that's honey yeah so 
Um, so talk to us a little bit about your, uh, your longbow setup, your arrow setup, broadheads, whatnot. Sure. Um, you know, I got a handful of different longbows. I'm kind of, uh, I kind of have been collecting them, I guess you could say. Cool. Um, Do tell. So, uh, it's, it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, it's like, I, I, I won't be selling any of my longbows anytime soon or probably ever. Um, but you know, I'm all, I'm kind of attached to it, attached to them or whatever. Um, the ones that I've been hunting with for what, four seasons, I guess since 2013 is, uh, I got a couple different Dwyer, Dwyer endeavors. Um, they're, they're, what I hunt with is all reflex deflex style longbow. Um, and then, uh, I, I love them. They're short. So they're maybe not quite as forgiving. I mean, he's got other models too, but they're very, for a longbow, it's very powerful and it works out good in those situations where, uh, you you need a shorter bow sometimes with different, you know, with brush or whatever. So I do kind of like that. It's a little bit handier, but here again, because it's shorter and whatnot, it's maybe not as forgiving, I guess. So shorter, six, 60 inches, 58 inches, 58. 58 yep. is what those those ones are. Um, and Dwyer, what state's he from? He's from Wisconsin. Okay. Yep, he's he's from Wisconsin. He's been. I'm surprised you haven't heard of the, of his. He's been no. I, have you heard uh, of him, Bob? Yeah, I've, I've heard of him before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're beautiful bows. I mean, I've looked at a lot of longbows, and personally, I think he's got the most beautiful longbows. You know, I haven't looked at everybody's, but. Personally, I mean, he, I mean, they're all handcrafted. He does, you know, he does them all. His wife helps kind of finish them at different stages. He's got arthritis real bad in his hands now. So, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's kind of cute because it's like this, you know, they're, they're an older couple. He's retired. That's how he just kind of kicked it off or whatever. And, uh, you know, like she does, hand does all the grips, you know, the wraps and everything on for your, your handle and everything, but they're they're beautiful bows. Yeah, I noticed you had one with some with some tiger stripe myrtle in the limbs, and one of the pictures you had there was a real pretty bow. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, definitely gorgeous. And then what I shoot for for arrows is um, about six hundred and sixty grains. Um, and what I'm shooting right now are grizzly stick uh, shafts from mm-hmm. Alaska Bow Hunting Supply. And uh, and then I tip them with a samurai, 200 green samurai, single bevel head from from grizzly stick. Um, so I, I mean I really like that setup. It's uh, it's pretty. It's got a pretty high FOC on it. Um, penetrates pretty pretty well, I'd say. What poundage are you shooting? My heavier one is a 72. 72? Yeah. And uh, back when I used to shoot a lot, um, I could manage it. I actually, I really like it. But I snap shoot. You know, I don't draw and hold really, which is a little bit of a problem because I'm trying to, you know, I've been trying to kind of endurance drawing and holding and shooting into my, uh, into my, uh, I'm losing the word that I need. I, into my arsenal, you know, like I want to 
you know, I love snap shooting and shooting with a floating anchor and I do that and that's what I've done, but I want to, you know, have a, you know, get it ingrained in me or draw and hold and, and have a consistent anchor too and have that, especially for longer range shots. Um, obviously I love close quarters with animals, but there are situations where it's just like, there's no way that I can get closer or whatever. So, um, which obviously a heavier weight drawn and holding becomes a little bit of a problem. So I've got another one, another Dwyer endeavor. And, uh, I had not made that one at 65 and, uh, and my shoulder, my shoulder's hurting just hearing about these bows. Well, here's the deal, though, is like I said, you know, I snap, I snap shoot, so I don't draw in holes. So it's like, right. I think that's a big, that makes a big difference, you know. Yeah. Right. And I used to shoot, like, I used to shoot so much, you know, I'd shoot like hundreds of arrows literally in a session, you know. So I was, you know, built up a lot, yeah. a lot more than I am now. But two years ago, uh, I went and, I, this is before I had any, issues i went and picked up my 65 pounder from uh dave dwyer and uh i went to shoot it and i had this something like in my upper left uh arm i'm right-handed so it wasn't my draw arm but all of a sudden it's like i'd get to like three-quarter draw and it was like it was like a pinched nerve or something in there and i just you know could it was, you know, you know what a pinched nerve is. It's like when you, when that goes off, it's like, it's like a sneeze reflex. Like you, you can't do it. Like you can't, you know, like I couldn't think. And I was like, what the heck is that? You know? And I dealt with that for about eight months. So I didn't hardly shoot at all. And then uh, I knew it wasn't like a muscle or anything. I knew it was just something odd. And then it just, uh, for whatever it just went away one day and, and i kind of figured that's the way it would happen because it just it came like that like i had no idea it was there and then all of a sudden it was gone eight months later it's gone so i didn't hardly get to shoot it all until you know a few sessions right before hunting season and uh and so i didn't get to shoot much in a year well then last year about this time last year i went to shoot with dave dwyer and I hadn't shot much in the whole last year. Well, I went out there shooting. Well, obviously now I'm weak as hell, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I went out there shooting with him and his, his friends and I, I did okay on some, sh- on some of the targets, but I just felt kind of pathetic, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, yeah, I got to get my arm strength back up, you know, like, you know, is what I got to do here. And, uh, so I was drawn and holding my bow in my, in my, just kept it strong. And, you know, every couple of days or whatever, I'd draw and hold it and, you know, work some arm muscles or whatever. I wasn't shooting it. I was just trying to get built up, you know, strong. And I really wanted to push that summer in between when I was editing, I wanted to push towards getting that consistent draw point and drawn and holding. So, you know, drawn and holding the bow without an arrow on was kind of going to help. I felt you know, not only build my muscles, but also help get me ingrained in that type of, you know, just relax, draw and hold and relax and consistent anchor. And well, all of a sudden, you know, I was getting probably about as strong as I'd ever been, you know, at least, you know, with those muscles and all of a sudden right back where my back muscle meets the spine, <laughs> I, it, I had a muscle pop and this was a year ago. 
and it just it hasn't been the same since and so i haven't hardly shot much in the last year either so i'm really kind of I'm, I'm i'm trying not to push it you know what i mean like i've lost yeah. shooting, but i just i, I don't want to push it right now and i've been to a chiropractor about 15 20 times and it's gotten a lot better over the last year and they're starting to think maybe i've ruptured something in the discs now or something i don't know but <laughs> um so yeah it's kind of been a canker in my soul i guess you could say <laughs> yeah. my, Man, I, I, you know I'd I'd consider dropping down to about fifty pounds if I were you. Yeah, uh, well, I got a forty-four here, Dave. Let me borrow. Okay. And so I've been t- I've been t- I've been taking the forty-four, and it's actually right next to my computer, and I've been I've been taking that, and I haven't shot it yet, but I've been just drawing it and just kind of working. I don't want to push my muscles because I know once I start shooting arrows, I'm gonna want to shoot like a lot, like I when I get into that, I love it so much that I, I'm I'm kind of addicted, so I'll end up you know, feeling like I got to shoot 300 arrows in a session. Right. So it's like, I'm kind of like trying to ease myself in. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You would have laughed. I mean, so like last year, you know, once I pulled that muscle, I didn't want to push it at all. And I could tell this, you know, it it just was totally screwed. So I didn't shoot the bow from May of last year all the way until about, it was like, day three or four of this New Mexico elk hunt before I even shot the bow. Like, <laughs> like, could you imagine like, okay, you're going to New Mexico to chase elk with a long bow and you haven't shot your bow in four, four and a half months, you know, <laughs> it's just, but that's like literally like my, my back muscle was so screwed up. Like I'd have to, even in the vehicle, like if I wanted to look to the right, out the, out the passenger or rear passenger window, it's like, I'd have to shift my whole body. You know, like I couldn't like turn my neck like that, like it screwed it up that bad. So I just didn't want to push it, you know, and then 20 years down the pipe, it's, you know, a bigger problem. So, yeah. I know Bob can relate with some shoulder issues and mm-hmm. really take it. Getting old choosing, bitch. Yeah. Choosing your battles wisely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what I'm about learning a, that. What about a bow quiver? I noticed you don't run one. Uh, you're running like a side quiver or back quiver. Or... Yeah. No, I, I don't run a bow quiver. I, you know, I've never personally tried one. And, you know, I guess I really like having it on my side. I don't, I don't know. It's just what I like. And, and uh, I couldn't find one that I really thought I'd like. Or I tried a couple and didn't like them. So I, uh, all I did is I took, uh, obviously you're familiar with Matthews archery. Yeah. Well, they, they have their mission line. Well, their, their mission quiver has the shape of it. You can weave a belt right through it. I mean, obviously they don't say, Hey, you can weave a belt through this, but just <laughs> the way it's machined out, you can do that, you know? Um, whereas their Matthews one, I don't know how it is now, but it was checkered pattern. So it, that didn't work or whatever but i liked how close the grip the the arrow grips were to the actual where the broadhead is because that makes it a lot easier when you got to get your arrow in and out you Mm -hmm. know because the rubber gripper is right right down there so you don't have to you know if you can imagine your grippers are way up high well then you know it makes it more of a pain to get your arrow in and out so all i literally did was just weave the belt through that and it's not perfect that actually i actually want to make a little attachment that uh where i can rotate it because sometimes when i'm crawling on the ground my arrows are you i'm sure seen them in the video where they're sky high in the air 
<laughs> right. And it's like, it, there's it's a, a little, it looks a little bit like, hey, there's a giant flag there. I mean, it's feathers. There's but. a guy in Montana that makes something that's probably right up your alley, but I can't think of the name right now, but it's a belt side quiver like that that's adjustable. Sure. Yeah, I'll have hmm. to look into that. Yeah, for I'd be you. interested in checking that out. Yeah, for sure. So, other than that, other than that, that's that's worked out really, really well for me. I, uh, you know, I do like it. I got it on a quick release belt now, so because sometimes, you know, I just need to get that thing off my side. You know, if I'm in a, you know, if I get, you know, if I creep in on a deer and I'm okay, this is where I'm going to be sitting. I'm waiting for him to stand. Sometimes it's nice just to take that out. I got a quick release on the on the whole belt now, so. Yeah. <laughs> So not only are you hunting with the longbow in public land and just uh, pounding the ground, but you're also selectively going after mature animals. Trying to. I mean, depends yeah. on depends if it's a, if it's getting down to the wire and it's been a tough hunt. I'll I'll, I'll go after a two year old. I'm not scared. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know what? Here's here's the deal. I, I you know I love chasing big bucks, you know, as much as the next guy. But you know, it there's a lot. You guys know this. There's a lot more that goes into what makes or breaks a great hunt than just the size Abs- of the animal. Absolutely. You know I mean? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. The the most you know the best most memorable hunt I've ever had is this big giant I killed a couple of years ago. But really, what made that so great was everything else that happened. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the the size of the animal that did it. It was just the way everything. Up until that point, I'd shot other big deer, but my favorite hunt wasn't the biggest deer that I'd shot. And it was there was this one I shot in 08. It was on the second video. It was this eight hour stalk and this 140 inch eight pointer. You know, and it was just super cool how it all unfolded. You know, it was drive through the night, get there. You know, and then you know got on this buck and five hours stock later, you know, got him or whatever. And it was just like, that was the best one I had had for you, you know, even years past that. It was the most memorable, you know, cause there's just so many other elements into it. You know, it took us 12 hours to get him out of there kind of deal, you know? So and you, you, so you I shot think, a, it's easy to get caught up on size, you know, you did shoot like a 200 or one, eight, like a giant, right. In Kansas. And, You'd made like a bad shot on him, and you spent multiple days chasing this buck from private to public. I mean, you got what video is that to reference for the listeners? Because that's an awesome story, and guys should have got to see that. That's defiance. 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 It wasn't wasn't quite wasn't quite two hundred. In fact, that was the only deal that I scored for like ten years or eleven years. I I kind of just got out of all that, you know. But it was like. You can't just throw numbers around anymore, and everybody's starting to throw numbers around. So it's like, well, you got to get an official score on it, otherwise, you know what I mean. So, so what um, what, did, what did that buck score? With with the kickers, it was one ninety seven seven eight. <laughs> wow, is what it was. Yeah. So, and, and it was the story a, is no, awesome. It was a lucky deal. It was a freak lucky deal. I mean, if there was a hundred and forty inch eight pointer out there that day, I, you know. I would have went after that one. I probably would have waited eight hours for a 140 inch eight pointer, hoping he'd cross the line, you know. But if it would have been on public, if I, if I would have seen a 140 incher on public that morning, I would have went after that deer for sure. So it was just kind of, you know, ironic that it's like this deer we spot this deer, and then 
you know, on a deer that size and just the way everything, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you know, you're asking how long do you wait or whatever, if the deer's on private. Well, that situation, it was like, well, this little tiny finger that they're in of weeds leads right down. It's like a little draw and it leads right down to the public. And it was like, you know, there's nothing else around it. So, you know, we felt really confident that he would cross. So deer that size, you know, yeah, we're going to wait all day for that guy. You know, kind of deal. So, yeah, that that's an awesome story, guys. That definitely need to check it out. It's a, a long drama um, it, it, with a great ending. It's a, it's really good footage. I really enjoyed that. Well, thank you. Yeah. What's what's uh, what what's I haven't seen the latest and greatest. What's the 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 latest uh, video that you released? And uh, maybe uh, can you tell us a, a little story um, about? About that? Oh, the, the newest one for the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay. Is is that what you're talking about? Yeah, is that your newest video? Yeah, those are the those are the newest ones. Um, you know the bow video. It was uh, it was a little bit of a struggle for a while. I mean, we were on a lot of good deer, but it just like the situations just were not coming together like at the crunch yeah you know and that's the thing about hunting though you know sometimes you can go out there and three out of five times on stocks or situations boom 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 you can lights out you know everything goes according and then you know you could have 15 in a row that don't go right you know and that's kind of like kind of the story of that bow season is it just seemed like i mean we ended up you know doing fairly well by the you know, from a public land aspect by the time it was done, but it just took a little while to get that ball rolling. So, and it, you know, and it's, it's coming off of the defiance video too, which the defiance, you know, bull video, not just with that big deer, but even the other hunts and stuff we had in that. I mean, it was just, you know, our best bull video we've ever had. So it's really hard to, it's really hard to really, I mean, that one kind of set the bar and it's going to be hard to chase that one, you know? So just, with everything that happened so awesome well can you tell guys where they can uh where they can find you and um you know kind of plug that yeah yeah whitetail adrenaline that's our website and we've got we've got all the videos on there and at least the dvds i mean we've got short you know trailer videos and teasers and stuff to give people that haven't ever seen the content a little bit of an idea of what it's like but you know, the trailer videos, they don't really showcase all the different aspects of the production. I mean, they they showcase more of the on-the-ground engagement stuff, but they don't show the vehicle breakdowns and all the entertaining humor side of things, I think. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where they can check it out a little bit more. Yeah, so if you guys are – I don't care if you're uh, Western hunters, uh, hardcore whitetail hunters – from the south, from the north, from the west, from the east, you guys have got to check this out. Uh, Whitetail adrenaline. Uh, these guys are a crack up. Um, their hunting skills are awesome. The way they capture uh, the footage, it's so authentic. Uh, I think uh, anyone and everyone would get a kick on it and uh, really enjoy it. So yeah, we appreciate what you're doing, and I know that you guys put a lot into it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot that goes into it, but. Uh, Oh, thank you guys for having me on and thanks for the time and 
Yeah, for sure. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate the time and we'd love to, uh, check back in with you, uh, you know, later in the year or, or after the, after the rut. And we're looking forward to the, uh, elk video and, uh, you got any, yeah. anything, cl- uh, for closing, Bob? Oh man, thanks for doing what you're doing. We, you know, it's kind of what our, our podcast is about. Just regular guys that love to hunt and, you guys definitely show that on your videos. It's not about all the gadgets and all the all the goodies. It's just about the hunt. So we appreciate what you're doing and keep it up, man. And uh, yeah, let us know when that elk video comes out. We'll get you back on and and uh, help you with that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I should probably get I should probably get a hold of you guys off the record and ask you about some elk tips. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime, yeah. buddy. Anytime. Yeah, Bob anytime. and James tips for the alcohol video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess I got one last question in uh, in closing here. Um, coming out west for whitetails, since states like uh, the western states where mule deer and elk are so prolific, and that's where you know guys want to hunt. Do you find hunting whitetails out west? Um, like it's uh, overlooked per se, or is that just a perception that I've created for myself? No, it is. I, I'd say it definitely is. Um, I haven't done a lot of Western whitetail hunting, but um, Jim and I we did a we did an Idaho elk or Idaho whitetail, excuse me, gun hunt, which is really what led us into doing the elk Idaho elk gun video stuff on the gun video um we've had the last couple of years we've had an elk hunt on the on the gun video and um you know we didn't get one but but uh we, exactly we didn't feel like there wasn't anybody else that we really seen chasing whitetails <laughs> out west because exactly you you have all these other game species um you know i ran into a situation two years ago where um, I was out elk bull hunting in Idaho, and uh, I was going to do this just for fun because we were having a tough elk bow hunt, and uh, there was this 160-inch whitetail, and he was coming out. <laughs> he was he was on this little piece of private next to public, but it was just like the chances of him getting on the public are not good. So I was like, you know what, just for a bonus hunt, because I'm not here hunting whitetails anyways, and just to shake things up because I'm getting my butt kicked by these elk, let's go knock on this door and see if they'll let us, you know, go after this white tail. Well, they didn't, but, but anyways, I, you know, it's like, I mean, there's some good caliber white tails out west in, you know, some of those states and, and it does get very overlooked. So, um, you know, I haven't ventured as much, like I say, just because, you know, if I'm going that far too, it's like, yeah, I kind of want to change it up and do a little elk hunt. You know what I mean? Sure. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, once again, thanks so much for your time and we'll Absolutely. check, we'll, we'll look into you later in the year and the good, the bad and the ugly. You guys need to check that out and defiant and, and all the white teledrenaline stuff. It's awesome. Thanks a lot for having me guys. I right, thanks. It. Thanks, Jared. Uh, don't, uh, stay up for another. 72 hours try to get some sleep buddy yeah yeah i'm gonna work all night and then i'll sleep tomorrow Uh, (laughs) all right man have a good one all right as always we'd like to thank the listeners for joining us we wouldn't be doing this without you guys 
We've got a brand new website that should be uh, up in the uh, probably the next week or so. We'll have some swag on there, hats, t-shirts. Uh, definitely support the podcast. Don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. And always, keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.